Good morning, Christ Central. It's my privilege to introduce our guest speaker today, all the way from Hawaii, Pastor Hank Ham. He is the Deputy Wing Chaplain at Joint Base Pearl Harbor, Hickam, and it's his 14th year as an Air Force Chaplain. That's the coolest title I've ever heard for a pastor. He is married to Jean, his wife for 16 years. He has three boys, Eli, Ezra, and Edmund. And for all you dog lovers, he has a one-and-a-half-year-old Yorkie Poo. He loves all things Apple, New York Yankees. I say that, uh, I don't say that happily, but he's a New York Yankees fan, and he loves traveling. Um, he is beloved by Pastor Harold and his family. Hank, he welcomed Pastor Harold and encouraged him so much when he just finished seminary at CCP Virginia. Please join me now in welcoming Pastor Hank Hum. It's, it's a privilege to, to be here because this is going to sound strange as a pastor, but I kind of consider you Pastor Harold's children, and I, and I love Pastor Harold. Uh, I've known him for years and years. Before I was an Air Force chaplain, we pastored together in Virginia. I've got all this dirt on him. I kind of wanted to just spend a half an hour talking to you about all the crazy things that your, pa your pastor did before he was your pastor, but there's more important stuff at hand. You know, I, when I went into the ministry, I was told, you should preach your sermons, every one of them, as if it was your last, because it may be. And I know for you, I, I am not your regular teacher, your preacher, elder. This, is my, this may be my only opportunity in preaching to you. And that's kind of how I formed what I wanted to talk about. And so I've been listening to the messages you, you, that, that have been preached here over the past couple of weeks in this, this series on Shalom. And it's been really heavy, rightly so. The, you know, the world that we live in and, and currently... Everything that's been happening, it, it, it's heavy. I know many of you in this room have experienced lots of tragedy, abuse, lots of failure. And I wanted to kind of finish the series. I know they said that the series finished last week, and technically for your staff it did. But I wanted to continue and, and end it by talking about what I've seen. And it's kind of what I would call a Christian pandemic within the church currently. And, and that is the sense of this sense of restlessness. And that's why I think this whole series on Shalom is good to find that peace, that rest, because there's this restlessness I've seen and, and sense in the church and, and within Christians in the military and without. And I think a lot of it has to do with uh, the, the very basis, the very the, the essence of who we are and, and what we're supposed to do. I think we all struggle with the purpose of why we live the lives that we live and what we're supposed to do with everything that God's given us essentially our call. And so today I wanted to talk a little bit about resting in our call. And so if you have your Bibles or you can uh, direct your attention to the, the screen, we're going to be in Matthew 28. I know you don't do this, but it, it, everywhere I go, I, I ask people to stand as we read God's word together, just as a respect. You know, being in the military, we're all about when, it, when a general walks into the room, we all stand at attention. And whenever I read God's word, you know, I even make my kids do this when we're in our living room sometimes. I'm like, hey, let's stand together and read God's word together. So we're in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. And let's give our full attention over to the reading of God's word. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You could take your seats. 
very popular passage, right? If you've been a Christian for a second, you, you've read this passage, and, and a lot of us have, you know, are, are familiar with it. You guys are about to go to Mexico on a missions trip, which I'm very excited for. We've been praying for you, the Hom family, that you guys would go and, and you know, make, make disciples. But I think we've gotten the Great Commission all wrong. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that today, what, what we got wrong about this Great Commission, because I think it has to do with our restlessness. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about what we got wrong, and it, I just wanted to talk about the what, the who, and the why of the Great Commission. I think what we got wrong, first of all, is the what. I, most people who preach on the Great Commission, or most of you, when, when you read Matthew 28, the emphasis is on the go, isn't it? Like, go. We've got to go. We've got to be going to the ends of the earth, to you know, Judea, Samaria, you know, to, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But we don't realize that that's not where the emphasis is. I'm going to talk a little grammar here. I'm really bad at grammar, but I'm going to try. There's only one imperative verb in this whole verse. In 19, the imperative verb is not, on, is not go, but it's on make disciples. So essentially what Jesus is saying is the emphasis and the call on your life, on mine, on the church's life, is to make disciples. That's what God is calling us to do. That's where everything, every other verb in that verse is a participle. You guys know what a participle is? I don't either. All I know is this, is essentially the imperative verb is the main focus, and everything else is kind of subordinate to that. So if I could, if I could say it another way, it's you make disciples as you're going, as you're baptizing, as you're teaching. The emphasis is on make disciples. We get that wrong, don't we? We think that the only time we make disciples is when we're going on missions trips or we're going to a discipleship class or we're going to church. You know, it's, there's certain places we go to make disciples, but it's only when we go to those places that we do make disciples. But what the passage is saying, and this is my, my thought to you today, is you make disciples everywhere. It's in the way that God created us. It's, you know, I, we live in a society now where... I think, especially with social media, the whole concept of making disciples, it's front and center, right? Because really, the word disciple just means follower. And if you're like anything like my three sons, you know, and, 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 you know, with TikTok and with YouTube and everything else, it's all about how many likes you get and how many followers you have. There's something in us that longs for that. In fact, if you were to ever friend me and go on my Facebook page... Most of what you would see are pictures of my kids and food. And the reason why is because there's something inherent in me that wants to share with the world just how cute and sometimes annoying my children are and how delicious everything I eat is. In fact, I've taken more pictures of food in the three days that I've been here in L.A. than I have of anything else because of why. There's something in me that wants to tell the world, look, 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 look at what I'm doing. I want you to enjoy what I enjoy. I want you to share in that experience. In fact, in having other people share in the experience, in my joy, makes it complete. There's this, there's this passage in a sermon that C.S. Lewis preaches. It's a great sermon if you guys ever read The Weight of Glory. He, he says this. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. The way God created you is to have you make disciples, make followers. There's something in us that wants to share the joy that we have in us. My question is, what are you sharing? What is your life pointing to? 
make disciples, not just on missions trips, not just at church, not just at Bible studies, not just on Sundays, but as you're going, teach people what you know, baptize, make disciples. So I'll just end that really quickly because um, for those of you who aren't consistently asking that question, how do I make disciples? You're completely missing out, and there's probably a restlessness. Whatever occupation you're in, and it doesn't matter what you're doing, uh, and I'll get to that in a, in a minute, you should be asking, how am I making disciples in what I do nine to five? If you've got a family, you should be asking the question, how am I making disciples within my family? If you have friends, how am I helping make disciples with my friends? If you, know, if you buy a new car, how is this new car going to help me make disciples? If you move to a new neighborhood, how is living in this neighborhood going to help me make disciples? Everything you do should be pointing toward that. There's a, uh, there's a, if you go onto YouTube, I have one video in my account. It's a video of my, my sons. Uh, two years ago, we were in Korea, and they we decided to make a video on, we kind of had our own mukbang, and we got a bunch of Korean snacks, and they're, they're, they kind of uh, review these snacks. And we posted on YouTube. We thought it'd be cute. You know, my, my sons could look at this when they're older. And about a week after we posted the video, my second son came to me, and he was like, Dad, 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 we have to make another video. I was like, oh, why? He was like, Dad. We got 100 views. And I was like, oh, that's awesome, 100. Wow, that's a lot. He's like, I know. Dad, we need to make another video. I was like, okay. Why do you want to make another video? Then we'll get maybe another 100 views or maybe 200. I was like, wow, 200. Why do you want 200 views? Well, Dad, if we make 200 views, then we'll get lots of followers. I was like, oh, okay, what's going to happen if you get lots of followers? Well, if we get lots of followers, then, then maybe we'll be famous. I was like, okay, what are you going to do with all that fame? This is, a, a, at the time, he was eight years old. He was like, Dad, well, I'm sorry, he was seven. He's like, well, Dad, if we have lots of followers and we become famous, then we'll get rich. I was like, wow, what are you going to do if you become rich? And he's like, well, we can buy whatever we want, whatever we need. And I remember telling him, I was like, you know, I have everything I, I want and everything I need. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. And, and why, why do you, what, what do you want? What do you want, son? What do you guys want? What's the purpose of everything that you do from the moment you rise to the moment that you go to sleep? The purpose of having children or, or getting married or, or everything that you do, every book that you read, every movie that you see, what is the purpose? What is all of that pointing toward? What Jesus says is it should be making disciples. Now, I'm not saying that if you ever make a YouTube video, it's got to be a video about Jesus. I mean, that'd be fine. But everything you do should be undergirded by the question, how is this helping me make disciples for Jesus? How is this helping me expand the kingdom of God? How am I getting the good news out in what I do? Martin Luther has a great quote. He says this. 
He says, how is it possible that you are not called? You've always been in some state or station. You've always been a husband or a wife or boy or girl or servant. Picture before you the humblest estate. You are, are you a husband and you think you have not enough to do in that sphere to govern your wife, children, domestics, and property so that all may be obedient to God and you do no harm in any way? Yea, if you had five heads and ten hands, even then you would be too weak for your task so that you would never dare to think of making a pilgrimage or doing any kind of saintly work. What is he saying here? He's saying that everything you do in the, in the mundane every day you got to live out that call of making disciples. So I'm going to transition not only from the what of making disciples to the who. Who does this? Who does this? There was a, and I, it still exists in the, in the church today, there's this fallacy that there's two tiers of Christ, Christians. They're the ones who really take the gospel seriously. They're the ones who, who dedicate themselves to it and, and, and then the rest, right? Sometimes we get ourselves off the hook of making disciples by saying, I'll only do it when I'm going. Right? When I go to the ends of the earth, or I go to a mission field, or I go to the inner city, or I go and do some missions work, or evangelism work. That's absolutely not true. You do it every day in all that you do. But then there's the other fallacy of who does this. And early on, there was this philosophy that kind of took hold of the church, and it's there till this day. And it's this kind of philosophy that there are two tiers of Christians. There, there was a man by the name of Plato who taught that the spirit and the body were separate, and that the spirit was superior to the body. So there were those who gave themselves to the work, you know, to material work and the things of this world, and then there were think, people who gave themselves to spiritual work, and they had a higher call. People like pastors, missionaries, elders, people who took faith seriously. They were the ones who go. They were the ones who make disciples. The rest of us, we get to do what we want. Right? We, we live our life. They're the ones who completely, you know, give themselves to God. But for me, I get to give myself to whatever I want to do. Right? I don't need to take seriously this making disciples. It's them and then there's us. The higher call and the lower call. And it's absolutely false. This call to make disciples is for every one of you. We all ask the same questions. Whether you're a pastor full-time or a plumber full-time, whether you're a teacher, whether you're at home, whether you're an adult, you're a child, every one of us is called to the same thing, and that's to make disciples. So you want to be a doctor. How is making a, being a doctor going to make disciples? So you want to be, you know, you want to, you know, be a teacher. How is being a teacher going to help you make disciples? It, there's whatever you do, you've got to ask that question. There's the story of a, an executioner back in the, in the 17th century, who used to go and um, execute people. I'm sorry, not, uh, he, was a, he was a Christian who became a Christian under Martin Luther. And uh, he went to Martin Luther and he said, Luther, I've become a Christian, and now I don't know what to do. I'm an executioner. What should I do? The story goes that Martin Luther said to this executioner, well, now that you're a Christian, I want you to go home and take your blade He's like, okay. He said, I want you to sharpen your blade real sharp so that when you execute, you do it in one swoop, one shot. Execute people for the glory of God. You may think I'm crazy for sharing the story, but the point of Luther was this. It doesn't matter what you are doing nine to five. Whether you're, you know, if you're making shoes, you don't have to put little crosses on those shoes, although that's fine. Just make really good shoes. If you're a doctor... 
you know, or a dentist, don't, don't cheat your patients. Treat them with kindness. If you're a teacher, be the best possible teacher you can, not so that you can get some reward or not so that you can get a raise, not so that you can get a better job, but that's how you make disciples. In whatever God has called you to, whatever station he's called you into, that you do it all for, your, for the glory of God, for the best, for him. All of us, not just the pastors. You know, it's, it's, it's really funny, and I shared a story with your teachers this morning about how it's so, I think what burns out pastors, I'll tell you the best way you can burn out all your pastors here at CCSC is by treating them with exception, by saying, well, you're the pastor, so you get to do this, right? I don't have to take this seriously. You get to take this seriously. Uh, and I share the story of, you know, I, I'd say 99.9% .9 of the meals I go out and eat with people, right? right before the meal, they're like, oh, let's pray before the meal. And they all look at me. I'm like, oh, pastor, you, I mean, you, you're going to pray for us, right? I'm like, do I have the monopoly on praying? Just because I'm the pastor? I'm, you know, and it's, it's always like that. I remember the first time at my first church with Harold, I uh, traded in my car and I bought this beater. And one of the elders at my church, uh, he, he, he uh, wrote, he, we parked next to each other in the parking lot, and he saw this beater, and he was like, oh, Pastor Hank, where'd you get that car? It looks like it's, like, really old. And I was like, oh, yeah, I, I traded in my other car. I needed to save money and all of this and that. And, and, and he, he, he had this brand-new Volvo, beautiful car, beautiful. It looked, made my car look even worse. And, uh, and this is what he said to me. He said, Pastor Hank... Seeing you drive that car blesses my heart. And I was like, what in the world? It's because I have the higher call, right? I, I, I'm supposed to make disciples. That, that's my job, not his. Absolutely wrong. You know, hey, pastor, you're the one that should be coming to early morning prayer meetings. You're the one that should be taking Bible, the, the Bible seriously, taking missions. You, you're, you're the one in full-time ministry. I'm not. Beloved, there is nothing that has paralyzed the church more than that fallacy. The Great Commission, the call to make disciples, is for every one of us. You, me, all of us. Uh, you know, there's a passage that, that uh, if you can get to the next passage in the slide, there's a passage from 1 Peter that says, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, every one of us has the exact same call, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There was a, a man when I was young in ministry when I talked about the call and how every occupation ultimately has the same call and that whatever you do, that you do it for the glory of God and that whether you're, like I said, a plumber or a pastor, it doesn't matter. And this elderly man, I remember, came to me after, after my message and in tears. He said, he said, hey, Pastor Hank, thank you for that message. I was like, you're welcome. You know, are you doing okay? And he was like, well, I've been a teacher all my life. And I was like, I know, you know. And he was like, I've been a really good teacher. I was actually... Uh, uh, teacher of the state, uh, you know, teacher of the year one year. I was like, that's wonderful. He was like, it wasn't until today, though, that I realized that being a teacher was okay. And I was like, what are you talking about? He told me the story about when he was a young boy. He went to this revival meeting, and the pastor there was like, how many of you want to serve God? And, you know, all you little kids that want to serve God, come to the front. And they made a little line, and every kid went and shared with the pastor 
what they wanted to do. And, you know, they, okay, little Johnny, what do you want to do? Little Johnny here wants to be a pastor, and everyone clapped their hands, and everyone was like, yeah, this is great. And, you know, one by one, little Janie, what do you want to do? Little Janie here wants to be a missionary. Yeah, you know, what do, you know, little Mary, what do you want to do? Little Mary wants to be, you know, whatever. And people would applaud and clap, and he said it was finally his turn. He was so excited. And he went to the pastor, and he was like, Pastor, Pastor, I want to be a teacher. And he said this pastor looked at him. He said, son, that's not good enough. And he said his whole life, he went on to be a teacher, a very good one. He said his whole life he thought it wasn't good enough. Beloved, not only is what you're doing good enough, but what you're doing is the way that God wants you to make disciples and followers for him. There are places you can go to that I could never go to, that, that a pastor or a missionary or that other people in this room could never go to because you have access to. God has opened doors for you to make disciples that no one else has. And why do you have that? The communities that you live in, you live in those communities not for your own comfort, not for your own success, but because God has placed you there. Whatever means that God has given you, those means are there for the end of making disciples. Are you making disciples, followers for him? You know, I wanted to conclude with the, well, why? Why should I give my life to making disciples? And if it's right that it's not just pastors, it's, it's the who is everybody and the what is making disciples. Why should I do this? Why? And I wanted to just talk about three reasons why we should do this. I know it's like a sermon within a sermon. I only get one sermon with you guys. Um... It's ultimately because God has secured our past in Christ. Right? The reality is all of the messages on shalom that you've been hearing about, all the, all the difficulties that you've experienced in your life, all the abuse, all the loss, all the failure, everything that you've experienced, if you truly believe that Jesus is Lord, then what you've got to accept and understand, because this is how he says, I, I am with you always. That through every tragedy that you've experienced, he was with you. That every hardship that you had, he was with you. That every, and, and this, is, this is kind of hard, but this is the truth. That even through any abuse that you've had, God never abandoned you in that abuse. Do you believe that? Do you believe that there was a reason why we experienced everything that we did? Now, I'm not saying that you should have a peace by just acknowledging that and never reporting never dealing with, never confronting, never, you know, bringing to light the things that are in the dark. But at the same time, you don't mourn and you, you don't weep the way that the world does. The, you know, like it says in First Thessalonians 4.13, that we mourn a different way as those with hope, with an understanding that there was one who was always with us and caring for us. And, and you may say, well, how would God make, why? Why would he do this to me? Why would he allow me to go through this tragedy or hardship? And ultimately, it's ultimately so that he could bring you to him. Whatever difficulty you've had in your life. You know, I've had a couple of difficult difficulties in my life. I lost my dad when I was pretty young. When I was 14 years old, I lost my dad to, to cancer. And that was after a two-and-a-half-year battle. He he kept going to the oncologist, and, and well, I'm sorry, back then it was the GI doctor, and kept telling them, listen, I, my stomach feels weird, and they kept on prescribing medication. He was like, can you just take a 
like a closer look at it, and they're like, you just have an ulcer. And after two and a half years, they finally said, okay, well, I guess this ulcer's not going away. We're going to go and operate and close the ulcer up. They opened him up, and they found a cancer that had metastasized everywhere, and they gave him three months to live. And I remember hearing that message and, and processing it. I was, I was only 14. And just the sadness. God, why? And the anger toward the doctor who had neglected my father and this horrible treatment he'd given my father. And all it would have taken is just one simple test or MRI or, or CAT scan. And, and he refused to do it because he just assumed it was some kind of ulcer. My dad would have been alive. And for the longest time, I thought, why, God, why? But, you know, when I look back at those times, you know, and in hindsight, it's, it's easier to, to digest. I realized that God used those two and a half years of my dad struggling to bring him closer to him. And when my dad died, he died singing hymns. And, in fact, it was the death of my father that actually catapulted me and, and my calling into ministry and, and taking my faith seriously. It wasn't until I lost my father that I found God. And it's like that with all of the tragedy in your life. If you just realize that somehow God is using your past to bring you into an infinite glory. Do you believe that? That Jesus is always with you, not just in your past, but in your present. You know, it's hard to digest everything that's going on in the world, isn't it? The wars, the shootings, the killings, the scandals, everything that we read and it's, it's, it's hard and, and sometimes I'm tempted to just close my eyes and shut my ears and, and just tune it all out until I realize that even in the midst of all of this, he is with us and there's a reason and I need to show the world that I'm not going to be consumed by the scandals in this world, by the wars and, and, the, and the tragedies and it's not going to consume me because I believe he is with us always. And so when my neighbor says, how come you're reacting to this differently? How come you're able to look at all of these scandals and all of these tragedies and not despair? It gives me an opportunity to make disciples and to share the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done and that he is with us. And it's the same for you, for every one of us. And it's, it's also because he secured our future you know, beloved, the reason why you can de- devote yourself to investing and making disciples and, and, and pour yourself into the lives of others is because someone has poured themselves into you. Because Jesus completely secured your future. Now you can go care for other people. Once you understand what the good news is, that Jesus has secured for you everything that you need, then you can care for other people. Uh, in the Air Force... There's a thing that we have to do every year. It's called a PT test, right? It's, it's, a, it's a physical fitness test. And uh, uh, if, if, you, if you look at me, I've, I've gotten this sometimes. Wow, you don't look like you're in the Air Force. It's because I, you know, whatever. I, it's, the PT test is not the highlight of my year. It's one of those things that it's, it's a necessary evil to keep me in the Air Force. It's one of those things where, like for me, a pass is a pass, right? I, you know, I, I always say I'm not trying to, you know, um, win any awards. I just want to continue to serve. There's a guy in my office who has not gotten anything below 100 on his PT test. He's this young guy. I hate him. He always, 
Like for his age bracket, I think he has to like to max out on push-ups. He has to get like 62. He's always getting like 80 or 90 push-ups. And I'm always like, you could have stopped at 62. Like they stopped. Like that's the max. You don't need to. You know, he's one of those guys. Like, you know, he has to run a mile and a half in like eight minutes or something. And he runs it in six. I mean, I hate him. He's always like, you know. And I remember this one time he, he, he won a 3K. He, he just went out. I'm sorry, a 5K. And uh, he won. Like, the, the, the man won the 5K without even practicing. He, he came back with his medal from the base. He was like, hey, I won the 5K. I was like, did you even practice? He's like, no, it was actually one of my slower runs. And I'm like, I really hate you. This is miserable. But he's always encouraging me and saying, hey, chaplain, if you need, you know, if you need someone to run with you, I'll run with you. And if you, know, if you, if you want, I can do push-ups with you and sit-ups. I can, I'll help you out. And I'm always like, yeah, okay, that, thank you. Thank you for, you know. I never run with the guy because I know that I'll hate him even more. And, and, and so he's always like, hey, if you want, you know, we could show up. Here, you know, if you, if you meet me at the chapel at 530, you know, we can go for a run. And I'm like, I'm not going to show up at 530 and run with you ever because... Why does he act that way? Why is he so generous and so kind, so sacrificial? Because the man gets 100. His future in the Air Force is secure. He's going to become a general one day. He knows what his future holds. He's taken care of, and so now he takes care of others. Beloved, one of the best ways you can show the world the love of Jesus is to show them how much he loves you and how well taken care of you are. That's the best way. You know, you don't need to go out and, 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 and master the Gospels. You don't need to go out and learn how to preach. You don't need to go to seminary. You don't have to take one class from seminary. All you need to do is to point to the one who secured your future. And the world, if you give them a chance, if you, if you, if you just... Show the world how good he is to you. You'll make disciples. Make disciples. And I guarantee you, because this is the way he made us from the beginning, that creation mandate in Genesis that says to go and be fruitful and multiply, that kingdom mandate that says to go and have dominion. He wasn't just talking about having children. He wasn't just talking about taking care of the land. He was talking about making disciples. It's how he made you. It's how you find your completion, your peace, your joy. I pray that you would go out and make disciples. Please bow your heads, close your eyes. I just want to pray with you, and I want to ask you this question. Is there a restlessness in your life? You know, there are people who commit great sin when they're bored. It's like David who during the season when kings would go out to battle, he stayed at home. And in his restlessness, he, create, he committed grave sins. Beloved, until you focus again on that calling on your life to make disciples, to point to the one who secured your past, your present, your future, you're going to continue to be restless, to be bored. May you find that peace that transcends all understanding by going, making disciples, baptizing, teaching. Lord, I lift up to you my brothers and my sisters here in this room.
Lord, like Luther said, we need to hear the good news every day because we forget it every day. And I pray that this reminder to go and make disciples, to baptize, to teach, would stir the hearts of your saints. Lord, we, we get distracted so easily and we lose sight so easily. Focus our eyes again on you, our author, our perfecter. Thank you. We pray this in the one who captivated our hearts to follow him. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.